Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. This is episode 92. I am Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, guys, we are doing pop culture. Pop culture. This is one of the fun, ep- well, they're all fun episodes. They're Absolutely. all, they're they're all, all fun. This is one of the ones that tends to, to touch us where we live. In our geekness. Exactly what I was going to say, in <laughs> our geekdom. We are, right. we are simpatico, brother. That's we are good. That's, well, that makes for better episodes when we do that. So, yes. the topic for today is Babylon 5. One of the greatest sci-fi shows ever. Here, uh, came out in the 90s. And if you recall, uh, some people think, well, if, if they're into sci-fi, they'll think, well, this came out right after Deep Space Nine. And while that's sort of true, the regular series debuted right after Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. But there was a two-hour movie that came out the year before That's Deep right. Space Nine came out, and the year before, so you know, Deep Space Nine premiered in between that pilot movie and the actual series, and so they've got similar concepts. It's a space station. It's, you know, it's out in the the uh, the wilds of space. You know, it's kind of like that uh, frontier aspect. Uh, lots of races coming and going. You know, just like Deep Space Nine, and it's. Not not a federation, but it's Earth Force, you know, Earth Alliance, and, yeah. Earth Alliance, and all these various races, and they're all uh, competing against one another for various things. They're juggling for position and power, so it's very much a modern um, setting in the sense that you can see uh, modern politics uh, in it. So you know, yeah. if you apply that, you can see, okay, I understand this situation. Right. So it's it, there's a geopolitical aspect yes. to the sci-fi. Rather than, say, kind of a Doctor Who that's sort of fighting the Monster of the Week kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Or even a Star Trek that's fought the Monster of the Week. Yeah, yeah. there's none of that. To yeah, this of. is really more a geopolitical drama yes. that's just set at this outpost. And so, listeners, so here we are again with something that Robert and Francis <laughs> are huge for. Yeah, and. And somehow or another, oh, Martin here. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I was watching sports, but I'm not a big uh, Babylon Five person. I, I'm familiar with it, obviously, because I've talked to the guys plenty about it, and I I know that there's some very uniqueness to this show. Right. Something some yes. very special things about it, but. Uh, do I, I don't really know the storyline. Well, right. So, so I'm going to try and draw the guys out we'll, here. We'll go into that. Rather than so. going total geek, I want to push them a little bit. Try to give me the synopsis in three sentences. Well, the synopsis in three sentences really isn't even the point about why this is a great show. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. So, but the synopsis in three sentences, and, and, and pardon me, Francis, but... Shut up. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because you know, if you, once I start, it's exactly, hard to stop. That's exactly. Right. And so he, he wanted it in three sentences, not 30. No offense. I understand. <laughs> you all know. So uh, it's basically the story of all great stories. Good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Right? So it is the good guys, the light, against the shadows. Literally, that's the bad guys, the shadows. Mm-hmm. And it's a story of how the, uh, the good guys band together. Uh, against all odds, against this—I mean, it's—it's it's no different than Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no okay. different than uh, Thomas Covenant series, uh, which is uh, similar to Lord of the Rings in that. Yeah. Uh, it's no different than Star Wars. Okay. You've got a plucky band of underdogs that have got to figure out a way to defeat the shadows. Otherwise, the shadows are going to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. So, real quick though, creator. Right, so gonna get to that too. So okay, um, I got I, I got you covered, bro. He's got it mapped out. Yeah, because I want to lay this out not just for uh, for you, but for the listeners, because not all of our listeners are right. And that's that's where I want you to go is right. to try to lay this so, all out. Babylon Five uh, was conceived of by J. Michael Straczynski, and if you're into comics, you know the name because he's written a lot of comics. Yeah. he's done a lot of television shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's just he's a really good writer. Uh, he's a good story guy. Mm-hmm. Not all uh, television writers are good story guys. He wrote the majority of the episodes, and he wrote the whole vast series. majority of the episodes. He wrote the majority of the first season, and after that, almost every single episode. Yeah. And from somewhere 
There's probably still a few in the second season. There is. I can tell you where it but, ends. Yeah, I'm sure you could. <laughs> but from a certain point in the second season, other than a few, not quite throwaway, but they're kind of filler. They're background information kind of episodes. From that point on, he writes everything. So it truly is one man's vision. And that's one of the great things about this. But the, the thing that makes Babylon 5 stand apart is not just the great story. Not the way it was written by one guy. It's the approach. And that's why this is important. Right, and that's where I wanted you to get to. Yeah. Because I knew this, this is really the uniqueness to this show. Right. right. It's this. not unique anymore, but it's the first one that did mm-hmm. it. So right. when, this was, when this came out, we were talking about early 90s when the, the, the early to mid 90s when the whole thing started. And he actually had the idea in the late 80s. So this has been percolating in Straczynski's mind for quite some time. And what he's trying to do is tell a single story. From beginning to end, and literally beginning to end, because it starts at a certain point, and the original ending, which ended up being the last episode of the fourth season, because they weren't sure they were going to get a fifth, so it kind of showed a sneak peek of where it was going to end, uh, actually happens like a million years, whatever the number was, in the future. Mm-hmm. And so you get this this whole length of time. And it actually, part of the story goes back in time over a thousand years uh, prior. So you get this really... It's a long view, to say the least. And this was unique. All television was episodic except for soap operas, right? Because that's literally, you know, what your mom and your aunts and your grandmas call those. They're stories, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a soap opera approach to a weekly television series. And that's unusual. Not just a weekly, because, you know, soaps are every single day there's a new story. You know, television is, at best, you get 20 to 25 episodes a, a, a year. Now, people listening to that today are like, 20 to 25? That's like two or three seasons! Yeah, at the time. At the, that was you know, but at that the time, the that was common. Matter of fact, Trek was doing 26 episodes a season when they started with uh, and, DS, and, or, uh, TNG. Yeah, lots of television shows that go back further were doing 30 and 35 episodes exactly. a season. Yeah, it could be done, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, as we have progressed, you get a lot fewer, but you get better quality uh, yeah. as we see nowadays. Well, and you get much better uh, better performers, better performers, bigger name performers. Well, post production takes a lot more time. Well, now, especially with you doing yeah. science fiction, uh, yeah. you know, you've got the effects which take time uh, and all of that. But at the time, uh, it was unusual though to take this approach. But he had one story he wanted to tell, so it's like taking a novel and doing not just a television show about it or a movie. It's doing. Um, 110 one-hour movies or 55 two-hour movies, however you want to look at right. it, you know. Because I think there were 22 or 24, I think it was 22 episodes? 22 episodes. 22 yeah. episodes per season. Yeah. And so, you know, that approach is was incredibly unique. Nobody had done it yet. Ex- and, and television executives were actively against oh, that's, the idea. Yeah, yes. That's one of the things that uh, the, the, the very end of the series they talk about, there's a, there's a catchphrase in there called Faith Manages, that uh, Straczynski put into the script, into several different scripts. Kind of, that was kind of their watchword because this shouldn't have been able to happen. He went through an enormous amount of shit, and he ended going through syndication uh, to do this. And you guys might remember at the time there was what's called the PTEN Network, uh, Primetime Entertainment Network. That was a syndicated group that said we can make our own series of whatever, and there were several of them. That they would, and it would go to syndicated, it would be sold locally. Next Generation proved it could be done and it could be profitable. So that's kind of the group that put this well, all together. Well, it wasn't even just Next Generation. I mean, you, th- you know, re- that's how reruns had been done. Well, that's right, exactly. You know, that was uh, not just Trek reruns, but. Well, for science fiction, well, you know, but, Space yeah, 1999 for, for, was that way. Yeah, there were yeah, several new others. Content, for new content, yeah. going direct to syndication was, was at a, that time. Very risky and a very novel thing. Well, especially an unknown property. That's Trek right. could do it because there was a huge following. Right, yeah. and they were trying to, they sort of tried to play off that a little bit, saying that yes, there's still a market for science fiction. But one of the things that made him sell it is, and this don't want to get too deep in this, but he was really the first CGI. Yes. For effects, mm-hmm. and it was done all on computer. You know, obviously CGI, and it was uh, had never been done before. I mean, uh, deep. Uh, Sequest DSV had done a little bit of it a few years earlier, uh, but this was actually for the time it was groundbreaking because it's all CGI and it's actually pretty damn good. Yeah, we mean for the special time. effects, not the people. 
Well, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, because nowadays that's not necessarily the case. Well, that's right. Yeah. Aliens and stuff like that. Which, uh, it was all makeup for them. There were no yeah. CGI for that. Um, yeah. So, you know, that actually was a cost savings mm-hmm. at the right. time. Uh, yeah. You know, nowadays, you know, special effects are a huge budget, but for them, it was actually a cost savings. And for the time, the special effects were really good. Yes. They've recently been remastered. Uh, yeah, I was to, you to mention this. Uh, yeah. To uh, not just HD, but uh, you know they were put on DVD, but they have been truly remastered, and they they actually had a letterbox version, but this new version has gone back to a four by three aspect mm-hmm. ratio, mm-hmm. and I've seen the clips; they're really good. Right, it's four K. Some of them you can still see. Oh, this is '90s CGI animation kind of stuff, but it still holds up well. Right, it's mainly the the, the small ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that really don't fare as well. The big ships do surprisingly, right? But th- so, so it's, it saved them on the cost of model did. building and oh, it, it did. Well, and, and time. And, well, yeah, and I'm and glad time. you mentioned the model yeah. building because models you were you were forced into certain aspect ratios that you could only only show and shoot with models. Yeah. This took all that away, right? So if you if you remember uh, Star Trek, the quintessential shot is always. The Enterprise or whatever the ship is moving from left to right across your screen, because you got to have something holding the ship, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's always only on one side. Yeah, that's yeah. why the Enterprise is always seen left to right, except in the mirror universe where a, they did I right was to left. About to correct you on that, there was one exception. That's right. So, which was actually just a flip of the film. It was just a flip. Yeah, but so it's groundbreaking in a lot of ways. But to me, the best part of the groundbreaking is the storytelling approach. Yeah. Uh, to do a, a full story arc across the yeah. season. And he kind of snuck it in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, if you watch the first season in particular, he's very stealth mode because there's, of those, of the, those 22 episodes, maybe five or six are laying the groundwork for the larger story. But you don't really know about all that. You get a big hint at the season finale. Uh, but that's about it. I'd, I'd say there's I yeah. I would say there's a lot more than five or six. Well, there's little nuggets. There's, there's a lot essential of, ones that are big. Are, time yeah, well, I, I'm probably even more than five or six. But yeah, almost every episode has something that is furthering the story. Yeah, um, and even the ones that are not, there are very few that aren't just great background. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the it's not necessarily a bad episode, but the, probably the one that fits the least. And I don't remember the name of it. You will, but it's the Tsunkatsa. Uh, episode. Oh, TKO. Yeah, yes. it was. It was the name of the, the episode. Fighter who's uh, fighting Wal- in the alien Walker uh, Smith. Yeah, yeah, Walker Smith. And uh, they actually did some uh, product placement for Zima uh, drinks in yes. that one, which Straczynski didn't want to do, but they paid him a boatload of money because the drink had just come out, yes. and so they had some of that going on. And that was kind of like, well, he and Straczynski himself will tell you he didn't like it. He didn't want to do it. It didn't make any sense. I mean, it, really it didn't. It doesn't fit. But it's one of the few that just don't push the overall narrative in some yeah. way, and it's the one that really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you get some nice character bits. Oh yeah, because uh, Walker Smith is a friend of Garibaldi, the security chief, and they, they kind of put this together where they make it you know palatable at least. It's not jarringly different. Right. Uh, it's not the worst episode of the season oh, no, of the no, no, series no, no. either. There's a. Uh, uh, others that might be in candidates for that, but uh. so you got this unique storytelling for episodic television mm-hmm. that instead of bottle stories, as we always call them, uh, or you know, the the end result of the episode is basically status quo ante. Oh in, yeah, that in, was in never most, in most television. Yep. Even again, even like Star Trek: Next Generation is yeah, largely, there was always a reset. Yeah, yeah largely. That, there's none of that. Very rarely is there. This is very different, mm-hmm. and it's moving a narrative forward uh, throughout a whole season. So you started to mention some characters. I know mm-hmm. there's a central character that all of this revolves around. So who is that? Well, yes and no, believe it or not, because the first season uh, was uh, Commander Jeffrey Sinclair, played by the late Michael O'Hare. He's got his own tragic story that you can find out there on the internet. Uh, uh, he had some serious issues uh, with not just depression, but some, some real mental issues that he had, which only recently has come to light. And that's one of the reasons he didn't survive past the first season. Yeah, he, he his performance was not uh, taken as well as they would have liked. There was some 
Um, and, and Graham, this is the days when fandom was not uh, as easily vocal as it is now. Right. You know, this is the days when you had to get on AOL and CompuServe to, to complain about stuff. Genie. <laughs> and we, Genie, We were yes. on Genie, because Straczynski himself was on Genie before it ever premiered. And that's where we, I mean, yeah. we were knowing fact, what was going on from the man's mouth. The location of the Babylon Station is taken from the forum name on Genie. It's Grid Epsilon 4... Yeah. Something, uh, 459 the grid, or yeah, something uh, like that. Uh, just, well, just Grid Epsilon is how they refer to it. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's a number that comes after the Grid right, Epsilon. Not, could, could, not and uh, <laughs> it's named after the, the Genie forum. Yeah. And so, the you know, Sinclair's character was portrayed exactly how Straczynski wanted it. But it, it was different than how other... You know, it's not like the captains of Star Trek. Right, and that was sort of deliberate. And it was deliberate. There's, there's yeah. gaps in his personality. Well, well he's a character. very conflicted yet not conflicted as he doesn't know what he wants to do. But there's internal conflict. With right. Him. There's a, there's a backstory reason for and some of that. And there's a backstory yeah. reason because again, he was meant to be the primary character throughout this, and his story would end in season five. Yeah. But that had to change when he decided to leave. And so they brought in Sheridan, uh, Bruce uh, Boxleitner, Bruce, Bruce uh, to play the, the new captain when uh, Straczynski shuffled off Sinclair to become the uh, ambassador to the Mimbari homer. Mimbaris are the bad guys' allies. Uh, yeah, you know they they kind of go back and forth early. Well, on. yeah, they that we, we fought a devastating war uh, ten years before the series, where they basically destroyed. They could have destroyed humanity forever, and, almost, and they were going to. And they were going to. They almost did, and yet they stopped at the very end. And that's of course one of the great you know questions that you have to. And Sinclair is early. key to that, and that's right. It, he was involved in story. that. Yeah, it revolves around him. It really is his story. It kind of gets hijacked. For Sheridan, and, and, and in some ways, that's very much to a detriment to the story. Yeah, uh, but the, the, the original the, story, to but the original story, because, not, not to how it plays out, right? Because he, because with the change, and Straczynski he said he always had trap doors built into his story concepts in case something like this happened. I still remember the posting he put on Genie when the announcement came. He says, first thing up, everything's okay. Don't worry." We've got this, but that's when he told Michael Harris leaving, and it's the lead, mind you. Yeah. And but they're and at the time they didn't have anybody cast. I know they. I remember on pins and needles because they talked about Michael York at one point, and you know different names would come up in here and there. And finally they got in Bruce Boxleitner, who was well known. You know he had done. He's a television veteran. He's a television veteran. He's a hell of an actor, and uh, and he still uh, Boxleitner himself today says his greatest role was ever John Sheridan for those four years, and he's written fantastic and. It was a step up. It was. Yeah, it was. Uh, Boxleitner had the chops to really make yeah, his work. Yeah, he's got, he's got a lot better presence. Um, I mean, Sinclair was great. I, know, uh, I loved him to death. I did. But Sheridan, for the way the story played out, was even better. Yeah. So you've got those two guys. You've got Garibaldi, the security chief, who we always like to say is David Addison in space. Yeah. Because uh, uh, he reminds you a lot of... Well, uh, Jerry Doyle, actually, who played Garibaldi... Played the faux David Addison in an episode of Moonlighting. Oh, I didn't remember. Yeah, that. yeah. There was, was a one time where they had quasi duplicates of both uh, Maddie and David in there, and Jerry Doyle because he looks so much like Bruce Willis. <laughs> they cast as his first role uh, that he did that. Yeah. Uh, and, this is when Bruce Willis had hair. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jerry Doyle had and hair too. Jerry Doyle. Had yeah. Hair. If you don't remember Moonlighting, I mean, Moonlighting was. A deal. I mean, it was well. Yeah, that's it was huge. Probably we were in college. Good, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, I had a serious thing for Civil Shepherd. I'm telling you. Well, yeah, uh, but so many I mean, of us did. Was, that yes. was a unique show and really, really fun. And again, really good writing. Yeah, and, and that's, it really it hit network television like a bomb when it. Yeah, came it was on. unique as well. You know, it broke the fourth wall when you just. I mean, you still just don't break the fourth wall. Right. Yeah, they were um, good television. At yeah. Um, but anyways, so you've got Garibaldi, the security chief. You've got um, uh, Ivanova. Yeah, uh, uh, Russian. These, uh, yeah. Claudia, Russian. Claudia Christian. Uh, Claudia Christian, great actress. She, yeah, she really is. Did. She deserves more props for her acting ability. Uh, than she gets, in my opinion, especially in some later episodes and later on in the seasons, she has some really great bits. Yeah, well, and Straczynski wrote for her a lot because yeah. he, she knew she could do it, and she she pulls it off every single time. Yeah, uh, she's, she's definitely not comedic. a stereotypical. No, she's got some great comedic chops. She's got great timing. She does some really funny, funny stuff. But she can do the serious stuff. Um, you've got uh, Andreas Katsoulis. Oh my gosh, who plays uh, Jacar? 
And he is probably best known before then for playing the one-armed man in The Fugitive. In The Fugitive. And Commander Tomalock. And Commander Tomalock. Commander Tomalock. Next Generation and for us geekers. Yeah. Yeah, Which so. was around that same, you know, just slightly before that. Yeah. But he, uh, and he, he I passed expected away. more from you than an idle threat, Picard. Yes. Well, I see. I knew you would, yes. you would quote that. Yeah, one. I love Absolutely. Tomalock. That's yeah. great. Well, but. because Katsulis was an amazing actor. My oh my God, he was. He was. Uh, and, and there was a, there was, I don't want to say flamboyance to him, but there was a power to his performance. Presence just doesn't it, even describe it's, it's, it. A, that was so awesome. And one of the arcs of uh, that, that, of this uh, series that is so critical is that dia, diametrically opposition between Katsulis's Jakar and Peter Jurassic's. Londo, which I know that we're and Londo we're, we're is going to be the next one. Yeah, I was going to say I know we're going to kind of get to that because they they are basically enemies. Uh, but they become frenemies. But, yeah, they be, they become. They're that. the first frenemies. <laughs> Very much so, and it's kind of I'm almost disappointed that happened in many ways. Because I'm not because I think you had it, to do it though. I, I think the way this, their storylines were intertwined, uh, they either had to kill each other, yeah. Or become allies, which ironically they and, that, and ironically do, they do both. They do both, yeah. Um, <laughs> There's the a future end. story, yeah. Uh, but uh, Londo Malari, Malari is, to me, the most tragic figure. Absolutely. In the yes. series, we, that, we've discussed this before that he's he's a guy that's trapped by his actions, right? He yes, and, and realizes he needed to get out and can't. Right. He is one of the just like Jakar. See, there are two sides of the same coin. They are both great. Patriots. Yeah. They want nothing other than what is best for their people. And they go about it in different ways. Well, actually, they kind of go about it in similar ways. Yeah. But Londo gets hooked up with the representative of the shadows. Yeah. And basically sells his soul. And he sells his soul, not realizing he's doing it. That's That's what makes it tragic. He does not set out to become the bad guy. And once he realizes he's become the bad guy, he actually works hard to get out from under it, but he still can't escape the consequences of his actions. Yeah, and that's and To me, that's what makes him a great character, is Absolutely. that he, he seeks redemption. I think he gets it in the end, but he still has to pay the consequences. He has to pay the price. Absolutely. And uh, there's, like I say, there's some future stories that, that, you know, there's some time travel involved, and you see, you know, his end. Uh, you know, in the years in the future, and he reflects on that on several occasions. And it's ironically, he starts out as a buffoon. Yep. Uh, and that, well, he's, and that's, he's, that's, he shows the tragedy. That's right, because he's seen as this happy-go-lucky, you know, guy you want to have, you know, sit around and drink with, uh, this drunkard. And Jakar is this militant uh, terrorist in many ways that's trying to destroy right. the, you know, just trying to take back everything. Uh, almost like the, uh, Sinclair calls him at once at one point. You're like abused children uh, who's now grown big enough to do it to somebody else. Yeah, because you gotta, yeah. you have to understand the relationship between Malari and Jakar is this. Uh, the Centauri, which is uh, Londo's people, they had in, uh, overridden and enslaved uh, Jakar's people, and Jakar's people had just gotten their freedom within the last hundred years, hundred years yeah. or so. So in that hundred years. They become a power unto themselves. They are not. They think they are, but they are not as powerful as the Centauri. The Centauri just don't have the political will. Yeah, but they're a very old them. race. But they're, they're a very old very race dense. and still very powerful. And Jakar keeps pushing them, pushing them, pushing them until finally, Londo, through political manipulation and using the shadows as a proxy, starts striking back, which emboldens his people. And yeah. so they go to war and they reconquer the, oh, yeah. the, the Jakar's people. Yeah, the whole second, the last part of the second season and most of the third is the Narn Centauri War, which, you know, that's what, that's one of those moments in there in the second season where everything turns, you realize, wait a minute, this is not going back to the way things have always been. This is a, this is a serious change in the universe going on here, and well, it's think, not going away. Well, I think you realize that when the president's yeah. ship blows up. Well, that's true too. That's yeah. that's at the end of the first season, yeah. and then in other words, there's there's definite progression going on here, and uh, that's we haven't even talked about the whole so there's, there's conspiracy back home and uh, the yeah. coup d'état oh, yeah. and all that stuff like that, and, that, and that's kind of background. Yeah, and that's and it, it's it's resolved. The, the fourth season resolves all of that. Yeah, the last part of the fourth. But season. But there's there's events. That don't allow status quo. Anti. Absolutely, Jakar becomes a redeemed character, and Londo becomes a condemned character. 
uh, and yet it starts out, the, you know, they're, they're completely opposite at the beginning. Yeah. They still have a bit of that. You see the seeds of the final relationship in um, in the first season and how they interact because they are uh, they're they're not quite a Laurel and Hardy combination. Uh, I can't think of the, the the right comedic example, but there's a lot of comedy between. Yeah, them. the banter comes back uh, and forth because there's a lot of banter, kind of like Abbott and Costello sort of deal, yeah, or kind of, but they're not partners. Like Crosby and Hope, uh, maybe a little uh, of that. The, the road pictures. So, so Jakar, but, but they're but they're antagonists. They're antagonists. The oh, okay. yeah. and forty eight hours. Yeah, forty eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because, I mean, better. there's some really brilliant scenes between. I mean, the very first episode, they almost kill each other. Yeah, uh, because uh, the Narn invade a Centauri colony, and it starts all this start off starts it all off. Probably the best scene between them, and I know you'll uh, you'll agree with me on this one. There's an elevator scene in the third season. Oh yeah, where they get trapped together. This is after Jakar's people have been reconquered. And he is now a citizen. Jakar. He's now citizen, no Not longer ambassador. ambassador. But he asks for asylum. That's how he's able to stay there because all basically all the other uh, Narn leaders they're killed. It's it's done. Yeah. And um, they end up together in an elevator. There's a bomb that goes off, and the penalty at this point for the killing of any Centauri by any Narn is the death of 500 Narns, including the perpetrator's own family. So. Basically, they're trapped in here, and Londo says, okay, you got it. Kill me. I know you want to do that. He says, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. But He says, but the beauty of this is, and Jakar just laughs the whole time. He says, I get to sit here, watch you die, and not lay a finger on you. This is a great gift. And there, there's back and forth between them. And of course, they eventually are rescued, and it, you know, uh, Londo is happy. Jakar is not, because uh, he's really ready to sacrifice himself. And then a few episodes later, Jakar undergoes a religious conversion. Uh, thanks to the Vorlons, which we haven't even talked about. The Vorlons, this great monolithic race that are the They're opposite the of the shadows. Opposite of the shadows. And it, all of this is revealed over the four years. Yeah. And not to get into the, the weeds, because again, you know, I don't want to talk about plot points so much, other than, you know, there's some great bits. And to me, the best parts of the plots are the characters. I love yes. Londo and Jakar, especially that first season where that that relationship is laid out. In that banter, you see... Jakar, he's he's very driven. He's very motivated to to advance his people, and Londo loves nothing better than to frustrate him. Yeah. And there's just great and he does comedy time after time. And Londo yes. actually says many times to people after he, you know, Jakar storms off and is like, I don't know why, but I like him. Yeah. And he truly does. He yeah. they both end up liking one another. They become weird allies. Yeah, and it's 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 very strange because Shakar, he knows that Londo is the cause of the deaths of so many of his people, billions. Yeah, but they, he comes to realize that he's he's a dupe. Yeah. that Londo was was, and not, he's in a position to help change things. And he does, yeah, he's he does. in a position to help change, and he does try, and he ends up saving Shakar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he. Like I said, I think Londo redeems himself, but he still has to pay the price. Well, in the fifth season, they go back to Centauri Prime uh, in the midst of a, uh, I would use a political crisis, I suppose, and Jakar is his bodyguard. Yeah. And of course, you know, the Anarn uh, is, you know, to these people, you know, almost subhuman. Yeah. And to have him there with, at this time, Londo's become prime minister, uh, it's, a, it's a great turnabout. It is, yeah. So... Uh, the other some of the other characters they're not as major as the ones we've talked about. You know, you've got Doctor Franklin, mm-hmm. a great character, another man who's died. You know, most of the cast is. It, gone. It, I was, yeah, I was going to say we really need to yeah. kind of talk about that. This is it's a very weird thing, but so many of the major players have died in this. And in some a short time ago, time. so I mean, it's been, you know, we're talking twenty five years on since the show premiered, so that's yeah. not entirely yeah. unusual, right? But you know, but I, they died young. Yes, so we wanted early. to especially though note. A certain cast yeah, member, Mira Ferland, yes, who she played just the, passed. She yeah. literally just passed as we record this, which was she was sixty-five years old. You know that's young, uh, especially and, as we get closer to that. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, that's right. As and, I said to some, as I said to our good friend Marcus, and I said, you know, now my definition, you know, it used to be my de- definition of old was you know somebody over fifty, uh, but then once I hit fifty, it, you know, and it's surreal. It's still even though I'm fifty-four, it is surreal to me that I am in my fifties. Mm-hmm. But now my definition is very simple. Anybody who's 10 years older than me is old. 
So it's a sliding scale now. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Uh, but Any, yeah, Mir Verlan, uh, she, she's Yugoslavian. Uh, she's a ma- an amazing actress. Uh, both uh, Straczynski and Bruce Boxleitner did some amazingly wonderful tributes on Twitter. You can find them <laughs> for her because she was a class act. She really she went, was. She went on to be in Lost, another she was, that's right. very popular uh, show with the same sort of scheme of... A long form, long, long form, form storytelling. storytelling. Lost would have never been possible without Babylon Five. Yeah. In fact, so all the I mean, now you we have a, most of your TV series dramas are often serialized over a season. That was that would have never happened right. without Babylon Especially Five. Especially almost all science fiction. Yeah. Is long form storytelling. Now. Yeah. And it was and, Babylon and Five shows. I mean, if you watch a fantasy show, The Witcher or. Uh, new one I just started watching this season, Resident Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, same kind of, by the way. Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yeah, I highly so, recommend that. Yeah, it yeah. looks funny. I have not caught that yet. It, I it's really good. I want to catch that, but... Uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Right. Uh, you know, George R. R. Martin... Uh, well, uh, Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. In fact... WandaVision, you know. But, yeah. The movies. Look yeah. at the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's, it's long-form storytelling. That's yeah. correct. It's got a plan. In fact... The public demands it now because you're not in the uh, episodic television is for babies, well, basically. It's story wise. It's, it's for it, it. It depends on the genre. Understand. So, but. for instance, Law and Order, uh, NCIS, those procedural kind of shows. Yeah, you still predominantly those are those are episodic in episode, nature. Yeah, right. where you finish uh, the episode, the crime is solved, and you move yeah, on. Yeah. Blue now Bloods you even. get some. Um, movement in yeah. the characters, you know, they they grow and they change, which is great. And that's kind of a but lot, that's kind of because of this. The, well, sort of. I mean, you that, kind of demand a little of that. As long as something like NCIS, it, the characters are going to grow and change, anyways. Because um, I think you still had, had seen that on other shows, but um, that's the only place where you're going to see that kind of growth is in the characters in those shows. You know, because it's very difficult to keep a long running show. Uh, a, a total return to the status quo. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, medical shows, you're probably going to see uh, some arc, but still going to be mostly bottle shows. Mm. Uh, their arc's going to be more character-driven as opposed to plot-driven. Babylon 5 is a plot-driven show with great character arcs as right. opposed to a character-driven right. show with great plot arcs. Yeah, right. There's yeah. a subtle difference, There's, but again, it's important. That, that realism, that idea that Events will move on and change the landscape. Yes, characters again, very very unique. I mean, it is. TV executives were very against that; did not want to do it. Well, they thought so people would tune wanted, out because, yeah. or or would never and would never tune in because you can't pick up where you're at. Yeah, if, uh, you, if you miss an episode, they thought, well, then people will drop it all together, right? Instead of coming back, they're looking for sustainability. And I understand that, right? But, and you know, maybe part of the reason why. Long-form storytelling has gotten so popular. It's not just because of Babylon Five, because I would like to point out that we're talking pre-streaming. Yes, yeah, television. Pre-DVR. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, entertainment well, and television. Pre-DVD, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, pre-DVR is pre-DVD well, yeah, itself. Yeah. TiVo. My, pre- yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's before all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. So if you didn't, if you weren't doing what we were doing, which is popping a video cassette in the recorder to tape these things yeah. so you could watch them later. Set your timers. Yes. You know, you weren't. You had that problem. People weren't going to see the, all the episodes. But now. The technology has allowed us mm-hmm. the ability to do this. That's why when you see a new series on Netflix, they debut the entire show. And yeah. people and will you binge watch. Yeah, the, con- yeah, the concept yeah, of binge Nobody watching. watches anything when it comes out anymore. Yeah, you just wait for it to be all out, and then you just sit down and watch the whole thing. Right. I mean, you know, I, I still watch the you know Discovery, uh, WandaVision, those shows as they come out because... Yeah. I don't have time to binge watch everything all at once. Yeah, I, I still like my weekly dose. It gives me something to look forward to. Right. But you know, it, I want to go back to the, the the point I was making about the characters. You know, the long form storytelling is plot driven, but the part that makes it interesting, the most interesting to me, is how the characters have to react to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what they do. They have to, to it's adjust. A seamless and react. mesh between the two. It things. has to be, and this is so successful that again, it's because you've got one man. With a vision. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to do that. Preach it, James yeah. T. Go ahead. But it's one man with a vision, and he's able to execute that vision with very little, surprisingly very little, uh, interference. 
yeah, by the, 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 yeah, the studios. Yeah, the executives didn't know what they had anyway. So they well, that's right. They were kind of clueless, gobsmacked, if you want. And Straczynski just kind of rolled over them. Yeah. Because there was just an enough episodic tenure, to, a temp, a timber to it, that you could stealthily push the whole long form yeah. past. And by the time you get into the third season, it's got a following... And that's when things really ramp up, and uh, they were able to make it happen. Kind of reminds me a lot of like early rock and roll music, uh, or or when something new in rock and roll came out, the record execs kind of had no idea. That's right. They're, so they just left it alone, right? You know, just let it. I mean, you think about something like punk music. Mm-hmm. That's not something a record executive would have went with, right? No but, label's going to sign Sid Vicious when he first. Yeah, or you know, the Ramones are like. Crap! Every song's the same three chords, and it's only two and a half minutes long. What am I doing with this? But they didn't know. Any of this, like, okay, whatever, put it out. If if it sells, it sells. Yeah. yeah. One of the other great things about the way the 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 show went about its business was the way the minor characters were handled, because minor characters became major characters. Mm-hmm. Major characters became minor characters. You know, the, there were you know who you started with was not who you ended with. Yeah. And Straczynski wasn't afraid to kill characters. You know, like I said, there were consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly the, you know, the major characters, you know, they didn't die. Uh, you had one who died, Marcus, uh, who was kind of a minor character who became a major character. Right. But, and that was kind of the plan all along. It was kind of the there, plan You can along, sense right. the seeds of that are being dropped. Um, um, you know, you had major characters who went away for a while. Uh, Billy Moomy, who played... Um, uh, Lanier. Lanier, thank you. Of the third uh, fane of Jodomo. Yes. yes, the third fane of Jodomo. Who is uh, Mira Furlan, uh, his, her, her assistant. Yeah. Uh, the, the assistant to the ambassador. And so he becomes a major part of uh, the story, and he's in love with her. Yeah. And he can't handle that anymore when she become, falls in love with Sheridan. So he goes off for a while and yeah. then comes back in the fifth season yeah it's and he actually gets his own little arc there yeah for a while, he does uh, which is really good of course you know Bill, Billy Mooney's a great great actor and he, is, and he yeah. does a great uh, he it's you know people can remember him just as much for his portrayal of Lanier as they would for Will Robinson as, yep. as a boy because he does a fantastic a fantastic job with that so let me interrupt again though um, so we are recording today in Studio R in the, the atrium. atrium. Mm-hmm. Love the atrium. Uh, the sun is bright on us. Yep. Uh, we are recording first thing in the morning, kind of uniquely for us. Yes, this is a very early. This is the earliest we have ever recorded That's an episode. Correct. Yeah, yes. we've never done that. So uh, yes, we there's no the, bourbon. <laughs> there's no bourbon. There is early morning sun. There is coffee, but there is well, you no know, bourbon. I do have the breakfast bourbon in there. Well, we know. could have done. That. We, could, we, we could have done that. <laughs> could, have, yes. could have done the one that tasted like uh, maple donuts. Yeah, uh, maple always, sausage to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. always into that one. You yeah. guys know when, when I'm over here, yeah. I just kind of go to that could, one. Should have, should have had some eags and sausage ready to go. We could have just. Uh, could have well, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. kind of into bacon myself. Just you know, give me a give well, me a pound of bacon. The maple, you got to have the sausage. Yeah, there's some truth yeah. to that. Yes. Yeah, I'm tell you that I am not a huge breakfast person, but. Some toast, um, a nice. I like my eggs. Uh, I think over hard is what they're called. Where, yeah, where that's they're cooked I mean. all the way through. Yeah, I'm same way. And, not completely, but pretty close. And, and as long as the white part is not runny, I'm good. I like a runny yolk, but not yeah. a not a runny white. I don't want much. I don't mind a little runny, but I don't want much. Yeah, I don't I like, want it to be. I don't want to be egg soup. No, 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 no. I like mine all the way done through. But I tell you what, you a couple pieces of toast, an egg over hard, and some bacon. Makes a good breakfast sandwich. Hmm. See, I, generally I have my eggs scrambled because it's almost impossible to get my eggs made the way I like them. Um, Mrs. Robert, God love her. She can scramble the egg well, but far too often if, if we if we do the eggs any other way, that comes back with the white runny, and I just like can't can't handle that. Can't. Well, so I do mine scrambled. But yes. Yeah. Uh, a croissant with some scrambled eggs and some sausage or bacon on top of it. Oh my gosh, that's we, a good we need. I, I know a great breakfast place in this town. We need to go to breakfast sometime. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As long as it's got bacon, man, that's all. That's all I need. Uh, Biscuit Belly, a plug for a local place. Yes, uh, is yeah. over here, uh, just five minutes from here, just down the street from DeSales, and it is a fantastic breakfast. Uh, I was curious because there's one in St. Matthews I noticed that went in there. I have not tried it yet. I haven't known anybody yet uh, that's, that's done that. It's kind of a thing. Biscuits are now a thing. Yes. Because now there's also Maple Street. Oh. 
I love Wild Eggs, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. First Watch. Haven't been, uh, actually, I haven't been to Wild Eggs either. I've been wanting to. Uh, you, made not a fan of First Watch. Love Wild Eggs. Yeah, oh, uh, love them all. Yeah, get they, the Zach's Eggs I Am, I think it's called. Okay. So you get eggs, you get skillet potatoes. Heck, you just get a muffin. going to Waffle House and have some loaded hash browns. And some <laughs> awesome stuff. Scattered, smothered, yeah. covered, uh, you, yeah. you name it. Give me all of it. All I right, care. so we didn't talk bourbon. We talked breakfast instead. Another That's right. Beat. That's Another okay. Beat. It was going to be the coffee episode, but it's, it segued greatly into the into the breakfast. That's so, fine. Yeah. That's right. You know, uh, it's a little, yeah. dare I say it, a palate cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Wild Eggs has awesome coffee. I mean, I know you like kind of a sweetened flavor coffee, but it's, I like mine. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I prefer the lighter stuff because I don't like yeah. the bitterness of... I I like my coffee black and bitter like my insides. <laughs> I knew there was coming to be some sort of a simile there. Yeah, black okay, and bitter like my soul. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, all right. There. And, and Wild Eggs has great coffee. So. Yeah. All right, so, well, fellas, we're at the 40-minute mark, so Holy I want to let cow. you uh, really start to think about wrapping this well, up. Well, I about do, What yeah. does... Babylon 5 really mean. I, yeah, as I say, this is the point where, uh, even though you, you, you've you been doing a good job of captaining my captain's uh, episode here. <laughs> well, but, I mean, I, um, I'm fascinated. You're, you're, I mean, you guys are analyzing this program in a great way. Oh, my God. I mean, I was... You're not just doing the Chris Farley fan thing. Right. It's you're, hard not Remember to. when you did this? That was awesome. You know, you're really, you're analyzing the breadth across this program, and it's I find it really fascinating. Well, you know, one of the I'm going to go first. I want to let the want to let uh, Francis wrap up because uh, I'm we've kind of prevented him from really unleashing. <laughs> yes, and, yes, and I know that's that's hard on him because this is for one, this one for this because this I is one of his eyes are even swelling. Yeah, kind of so, slightly. Yeah. I want to let Francis wrap up, do the final, oh, have awesome. a final word. But yeah. so I want to go first here. So you know, with with Babylon Five, the whole point of it for us to me is what we love it's the story the, you know shakespeare said the play is the thing well i take it as you know not the the act of getting on stage but the story is yeah. the thing the story and babylon 5 has all the great elements of what makes a great story you know you've got the conflict and you've got conflict on many levels. You've got the interpersonal conflicts. Mm-hmm. You've got the great geopolitical, uh, which is you know spatial political, however you would yeah, put right. that, uh, conflicts. You know the good versus evil. You've got the tragic characters. You've got the heroes. You've got sacrifices that have yeah. to be made. Consequences. You've got consequences to your actions. You've got false steps. You know the heroes aren't perfect. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a real contrast to something like Star Trek, where the captain always manages to pull him away from the brink. Exactly. Yeah. No. They, 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 the, this captain actually dies and gets resurrected and comes back. I mean, it's a, it's a, and there are consequences to that. And there are yes, there yes, are, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a temporary uh, thing. Uh, there's even one episode where uh, Delenn Mirafalon's character has to be tested. By the the, 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 the the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor, yes, but by the... Uh, the Jack the Ripper. No, you're stepping, so, on, you're stepping on me here. Uh, sorry, we don't pound the table. Don't, we, don't pound we, the table. You're well, not, uh, I, I was the, trying uh, to help. You're so not Jeff here. Yeah, that's right. No, the, the, the race, the... the Borlons. Borlons, thank you. Uh, I was trying... My to, age is showing here. I can't uh, remember stuff we just talked about. I was trying to about. throw you a lifeline. And, so yeah. she has to be tested by it because the motives have to be pure. And they want, because they had doubts about her, so they wanted to make sure that she was doing, uh, she was involved in this crusade, uh, to, to use a, you know, to make a small pun, because there's a follow-on show called Crusade. Yes. Uh, she has to be involved in this for the right reasons. Your why has to be correct. And so they, they have captured from ancient history, uh, what is several hundred years in the past, it's not quite ancient to us, <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And he is the Inquisitor. He comes and tests and basically tortures her mm-hmm. until she admits her reasons and then it's acceptable. But so, you know, it's kind of a side episode. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's second season, I believe. It is. Because uh, she's got hair, uh, I suppose, when she was totally bald, uh, except for the bone. You know, if well, you don't know what we're talking about, you, you can't, it can't be explained. Um, and so, you know, those little bits, I think, are great because they're character building. Mm-hmm. But they also move the story along. And there's a great bit at the end, at the, the 
the culmination of the battle between the shadows and the forces of light when the two opposing questions are asked. The shadows question are, what do you want? But the question from the, the Vorlons, the light, is who are you? To me, that is the quintessential definition of good versus evil. Who are you is who you are in your, you mm-hmm. know, it's at your core. It's what makes you the person you are. What do you want is the selfish selfish question. Mm-hmm. It's totally all about you. The id. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you is about what your impact is on others. Yeah. And to me, that, you know, it, it's kind of subtle. But when you start seeing how this is played out over the course of the series, I think this is phenomenal. This is how I'm bringing in the eternal questions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're good at that. And Straczynski just nails that. He really does. He nails that that eternal question and how it plays out, uh, especially through these first four seasons. The fifth season, you don't have to have, but it's great follow-up. Because, like I said, they kind of had to squeeze all the important stuff into season four, not being sure they were going to get a season five. But season five is where they kind of finish up everything and kind of tie up all the loose ends. And really end up kind of taking longer than they needed to, but... They bring in some additional... But they bring in some additional stuff, stuff that was, you yeah. know, it's probably... A- it's great. It's not filler. It's great background that is brought to the foreground. Yeah, it's its own mini story in many it ways. It is. Uh, it seems kind of anticlimactic compared to season four. That's kind of why it's it's not my favorite season, but it's still got some great stuff. Mm-hmm. It really does. Um, but yeah, he, he just the plot, the characters, the consequences, and answering that "Who am I?" versus "What do I want?" is just it's just a phenomenal piece of storytelling and that's what's great about it to me it's the storytelling that's what my uh it's the anti-seinfeld yes well yeah. yes it really yeah, well, is yeah. famously larry dave and jerry seinfeld they set down a marker at the beginning of seinfeld said no growth right these guys will be the same when we stop as they are right now and when i um uh, and actually i think they were worse yeah but yeah <laughs> Uh, when I first started watching Seinfeld, I was intermittent because I wasn't all that big of a fan. Yeah. And the thing that just blew me away was like when the episode, when they actually admitted it, you know, because Jerry and, and, and um, uh, uh, what's his friend? George. 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 Uh, you know, they're trying to write a TV show. They're basically trying to write Seinfeld and sell it. Yeah. And the whole point of this, they're sitting in the, in the cafe and it's like, the show's about nothing. And that's when you realize, holy crap, the show's really about nothing. Yeah. Which, in a way, is its own brilliance. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we loved it, but that show, I mean, that was about four rather horrible people, really. It was, yeah. You know. And you're right, so this is truly the anti-Seinfeld. Because uh, this is about people who uh, are not always good people, mm-hmm. but they're good stories. Mm-hmm. And you can relate to almost every one of them. All right, Francis, 48 minutes. No, Keep that in mind. no, that's not how much time you have. Uh, that's how much time we've spent like, on the episode. But go. Yes. Oh, really? I, I get to do this? Okay, yes. fantastic. Uh, uh, what Robert said, uh, that's it's exactly right. Uh, it's there's a uh, the the larger story subsumed within the smaller stories in perfect synchronicity. Uh, the, as the characters grow, the universe changes, and in many respects, this is a change. This story is it's about changing the universe forever. That's what happens. That's basically, it's kind of like the linchpin where everything that went before is nothing the same after that. And as Robert mentioned, uh, there's an episode there where they pay this forward in time one million years with, with little stops along the way, 500 years, 1,000 years, and it shows what the repercussions of this main story, of this transformation of the universe happens. And... Uh, the whole question of the good versus evil, the answer is not you choose good and reject evil. The answer is neither is good, believe it or not, because the Vorlons are seen as manipulative. They just use the concept of light and goodness to do so. The shadows are pretty honest. Yeah, we want you to evolve. We're going to bring chaos to you, and those who come out of it are going to be stronger. We we both want the best for you, and therefore... The They're question- Nietzsche. Yeah, that's right, and and the 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 and Darwin, the, the, <laughs> together exactly, and the whole point of 
Sheridan in particular and Delenn and all these people that are fighting against all this, they say, what if the right choice is not to choose at all? We reject both of you. We're going to decide ourselves. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. Yeah, and that's they another one of Sheridan's great... He has some great speeches. Oh, ab- absolutely. So a, a real c- a comment on the idea of free will. That's correct. Yeah. Is uh, Because both sides have been manipulating the, the younger races for centuries. That's the... We didn't really talk about that. The, right. the background for the show really is that elder races versus younger races. Right, and that's... Vorlons and Shadows are the last active elder races. The elder races are still there. There's yeah. so many of them there. And they get brought in. But they're the only ones that are still... And they've been manipulating helping. humanity as well as all these other races uh, to try to get them onto their own side. And there's a point in there where they said, when Delenn realizes it's about ideology, and the, the shadows go, well, of course, what isn't? It's us versus them. Our, it's order versus chaos. And that's when Sheridan says, no, we're not going to be manipulated by you anymore. Uh, it, it's The Vorlons are like your parents that want you to eat up go to uh, do your school work and do what you want to and the shadows are like we want you to come together in conflict weak races die strong races thrive and it's this ideological bent between the two of them that forms the basis of this major overarching conflict which by the way gets resolved in the middle of the fourth season so you've got another half a season left when this is done and you have to go back to wait a minute there's a tyranny of darkness clouding earth which has been taken over by radical reactionary well, coup, whatever it, you want to talk the, about it, well it, it, they were using the earth just like they were using the centauri the shadows did so right. the shadows had influenced uh, politicians on earth just like they influenced them on centauri prime and so you had to deal with that because the main characters are human, obviously. Right. And it gets to the point where all this work they've done to fight the shadows comes back and it says, well, now we'll help you take back Earth from this darkness and tyranny that's taken it over. And that's where the fourth season ends. And because they weren't going to do, you know, they weren't sure they were going to get a fifth season. That's why the fifth season is kind of a, uh, an add-on. But the, we didn't talk about the finale, which takes place 20 years after the event. And it basically, it shows the end of, well, Sheridan's end, what happens with him, and the consequences of everything they've done. And some characters have died. Londo and Jakar are both gone at this time. Others have... They die pretty much at that time. Yeah, we're just 20 years into the... Yeah, just shortly before this, because Veer is emperor. Uh, And uh, it it, kind of shows... One of the things that we talked about this, I hate it when biopics or things like that end with, say, the death of somebody, and you don't show the consequences, what happened after that of an important person. Uh, that's this does all that. This gives you know this is what we did. We set out to do this, and it's kind of an homage to the whole series, saying, "Yeah, we we did something we sh- shouldn't have been able to do, and it was beautiful." Yeah, you know, one of the, that's a great point about uh, the the future consequences. Um, this show showed that not just what you do matters to you and those around you, yeah. but the repercussions are, dare I say it, eternal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not just your little circle. You know, what we do now echoes in eternity. Yeah, thank you yeah. for that. Well done, Maximus. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's actually another, uh, it's really a, a beautiful thing. If you watch the very, the pilot for the darn thing, there's a comment that Lynn makes that says, you know, our, our civilization is, has books filled with thousands of pages about the power of one mind to change the universe. Wink, wink, shake, shake, smack, smack. That's the whole freaking point of the series. The power of one person, or in this case, a small group of people, to change the universe forever. And that's exactly what happens. So they're kind of, Straczynski's laying down the groundwork because, hey, he's got a plan. Uh, the payoffs that you get with this, with this vision that he has, are enormous. And that's why this is great watching a second time, a third time, a fifth time, a 400th time, whatever. The story still satisfies. Mm-hmm. And I'm delighted for the fact, and we didn't plan this by any means because we didn't know about it, that that HBO Max has now remastered the darn thing and it has it available uh, for everybody to either, you can either purchase it or you uh, or you can, uh, if you have HBO Max, you can watch it. My children were were 
teeny weeny. My, mm-hmm. my girls were when this came out. My they God. watched this over and over and over and over again. We have parties together. We, we watch it. Uh, and it's just that's part of their childhood. And because it was so good, they're forever made better by it because they recognize that's a good story. They understand the concept of good stories now because they've lived it. Yeah. Yeah. It, we take for granted storytelling on television uh, nowadays. Yeah. But it really does come back. It might, it, maybe it would have happened anyways, uh, especially with technology enabling uh, the, the, the binging of shows that we do now. This is very but, bingeable, even especially this, so. Yeah, well, and you know, 110 episodes, that plus the two-hour movie and the follow-on series. Uh, uh, know, and several TV movies that they've done TV movies, that are yeah. inserted into the you know, There's yeah. quite a bit of it that's, you know, like I said, 110 episodes, that's like 10 seasons of shows nowadays. Yeah. And so, most of the time, you only get, at best, two or three seasons of those 10-season shows. Right. So when you think about the scope of this, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, like I said, the first season may be a little hard to get through because it's, my it's girl, laying so much of the groundwork. My girls skip the first season. Yeah, they I mean, don't, you can they don't like do that. Michael O'Hare that well. And I told, I tell them, I said, "Girls, you're there's missing. A, there's a like good deal of there's it. there's a handful of episodes you got to watch. Yeah, you you can skip some of them, but really you shouldn't. They're really good. Yeah, there's a lot you really do need to watch, but yeah, there's a lot you could skip. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just you know, every everybody who enjoys. TV today owes something, whether they know it or not, to Babylon 5. That's right. And if they haven't watched it, folks, if listeners, if you haven't watched it, hey, it's available now and it's beautiful. Uh, the 4K uh, upgrade they did, it makes it really, really good. Watch it. Super, Mark, super Mark, landmark. Watch it, for goodness sakes. Take the time, get you a bourbon and sit down and take a year and watch it. Uh, it's worth your time. It really is. Really, you know, we should have done this episode last March, at the beginning of the pandemic. They'd be they'd be done with it by now. That's true. <laughs> and, you know, well, you know, we. I'm kind of stunned well, it, that it, it took just... us so long to get here, really, because Babylon 5 is, is it's so much to me. It really is. And yeah. I know, Robert, it is just to you, too. We, we were there. We were there. At the dawn of the third age of mankind, yes. uh, and that that was a great place to be. You never really defined what the first and second ages of mankind. Yes, were. they did. They did it when, at the end of the Shadow War. Remember, Delenn and Sheridan are coming back, and uh, that's when he says what the third age. Third, the first age is when we were too uh, in the Stone Age, and we were not able to stand on our own. Uh, primitive people. The second age is when we went to the stars and we started doing yeah. things on our own, but we were manipulated by these super races like the Shadows and Borlons. And the third age is now they're gone. We got rid of them. We're standing on our own, and mm. our future is ours to make what we want of it. We're no longer being manipulated. That's pretty good stuff. And yet that groundwork was laid down. At the very in fact, that's the first words of the uh, of the credits in the first season. And the very first, very first line of the pilot that Londo narrates, you know, I was there at the dawn of the third age of mankind. It's not, <laughs> that's not a bad Londo impersonation, guys. That's the only impersonation we did today. That's correct. That's right. Oh well, we, hey, I can do more. You know that. I'm not <laughs> going to do that though. So I think that I think that's a, a good wrap. A good wrap. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I do want to before we go. I do want to recognize. The actors that have passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Because they're they're because we did not touch we didn't all we of didn't them. touch all of them and they should because they were fantastic actors all of them all of them and I'll try to get them all. Uh, obviously, Mira Ferland who has just passed. She's most in our mind. Michael O'Hare uh, has passed away. Um, uh, um, Jerry Doyle, uh, God rest him. He was fantastic. He reinvented himself after yeah. uh, after his uh, acting. You know, with Babylon Five, he became a radio conservative radio talk show host. Yeah, he kind of felt like he was a little blacklisted because of he was a conservative. because he was conservative. That's right. Well, Boxleitner is too. Boxleitner too. Because they yeah. were they were big buddies uh, uh, out there. Boxleitner is not dead, mind you. He's he's still yes. very active. I want to make sure I don't slide side of that. Richard Biggs, who played uh, Doctor Franklin. Franklin, he died very young and very early. Uh, 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 Jeff Conaway, who played Zach Allen, one of the security chiefs on yes, there, very minor character, not even in the first season. I don't think. right. No, it was it was middle of the second season when he came on, and uh, from, um, taxi. from from taxi, uh, from taxi yes. and from the movie Grease and, and several other things. Yeah. He had he had gotten involved in substance problems, and his career had slid off. And Straczynski took a chance with him. He brought him in, and he got his act together. 
he really was able to perform some, and he did some amazingly great stuff, especially later on as he yeah. kind of grew into the character. Uh, he himself died, he died a tragic death. Uh, it was drug related, uh, unfortunately. He didn't quite make it all the way. It's a very, yeah. very sad story. Uh, Stephen First, who played Veer, has passed away. Yeah, we didn't really talk about Veer, and he was a fantastic He was, he was Famous f- for Animal House. Animal House, that's right. He was a foil. He was Londo's assistant, Veer was. And he was a foil to him. He was kind of like the the true innocent character that somehow yeah. goes through everything. He's the everyman. That's He's his everyman. name, man. That's right. Veer, Veer means man. That's right. And uh, he... Uh, he passed away. Uh, it was diabetic related. He actually got a kidney transplant from a fan, oh, believe wow. it or not, because he was going. This was yeah, it was a fan because he he's had issues with this all of his life. Uh, his sons tell the story after he passed that, but he lived an extra. I think it was uh, several years. I don't remember exactly how many from a kidney transplant because he was going to die, and he needed a kidney transplant. And it was a fan that heard about it and says. I'll do it, and that's and he gained an extra lease on life from that. He was not an old. None of these folks were old. No. Uh, and uh, also, finally, I want to make sure we mention Andreas Katsoulis, who played Jakar. Uh, Straczynski has said no one will ever play Jakar ever other than him. So that that character would never be brought back in any reiteration that this might ever be done. He was that great. He died of lung cancer. Heavy smoker. Uh, heavy smoker. Heavy, he was. Heavy uh, he was, smoker. He was uh, it, it was his Greek background. He was he was Greek. You know his name is that, and that he grew up smoking cigars all the time, uh, and that eventually contributed to lung cancer. He had a final dinner with Peter Jurassic and his wife, and Joe Straczynski and his wife. They all had a dinner when the dot got the diagnosis, and uh, it was it, Straczynski talks about this, and it was one of those. It's kind of like the Last Supper, where. Uh, Andreas says, you know, let's talk about all those things, you know, those good times and stuff, and let's tell those secrets because who am I going to tell? I'm dying. <laughs> and, 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 of course, he, he did pass away. And it was, and, uh, it's just too many of those great actors that made this series so good passed away too young. And I want us to make sure we remember them because when you watch this now, you realize, oh my gosh, that one's, he's passed away, she's passed away. Yeah. My goodness, it's, it's, if we had a bourbon, we would be clinking the glasses. Right absolutely, now. Oh, so, absolutely, because yeah. they they all deserve so much of that. And Straczynski wrote an autobiography, by the way, that's really worth your time reading. Uh, it's called Becoming Superman. Uh, believe it or not, and he tells the story of so many of this, of how things, uh, how it he happened. He wrote Superman for a while. As exactly, well. that's kind of where he went with the. That's why he took the title of that because he uh, uh, he he did a lot of comic book writing, and uh, I know you weren't a big fan of some of his storylines. Well, no, the one, the only one that I didn't care for was he did a, a comic called Rising Stars. Yeah, and well, the two things he did, I didn't care for that one the way it ended. Yeah, and just I thought it was a horrible, horrible ending. It's like he was trying to get out. You know, it's like. I got to finish this up, and it just kind of screwed the pooch on it, in my opinion. I also did not like what he did with Spider-Man and Mary Jane. He erased their marriage. That's right. He's the one that did that. I'd forgotten and about that. Don't like that. Wasn't wasn't he like dictated to do that though? Uh, possibly. I think yes. that 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 I don't want to blame him completely for that. Yeah, he's the soldier that basically is yeah, told, he, yeah, do this. We yeah, he to, took that hill. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But um, but he's uh, he will be ever be beloved by us for the oh, yeah. great he's, work because he, he's a great storyteller. Really absolutely. Is. And uh, in fact, and I'll I'll end it with this. Actually, I got one more thing after. Okay, that. but uh, when at the end of the series. In the season, in the series finale, twenty years later, because uh, we didn't talk about this, the Babylon Station has become redundant. It's no longer necessary. The whole its whole purpose is now being done by the universe that's been created afterwards. So it ends with the they blow up the station because it's no longer needed anymore. And the last person off the station as they shut everything down before they leave and blow it up, Joe Straczynski played that technician. No. I mean, if you know it, that's him. Yeah. He's the one that he's the one that literally shuts down the lights as they, you know, they blow it up because you can't leave it. Nobody, nobody comes there anymore, as they say. Yeah. And that's a brilliant ending uh, to to the series. Yeah. So that pretty much takes care of our Babylon Five. One thing I do want to recognize is we did not think to do this in the episode that, as we record this, just uh, came out, and that is to acknowledge uh, a couple of a couple of things. So February sixth. Uh, is the date for two very uh, related two very important people in our lives. Uh, it's the day that Ronald Reagan was born. Mm-hmm. It's great Ronaldus Magnus's birthday. Mm-hmm. Yep, happy birthday, Ronald Reagan. Happy birthday. And very sadly, it marks the date of 
Jack Kirby's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. they, he died the same day that Reagan was... Not the literal same day. Yeah, the same day. Same, same day of the month, yeah. uh, February 6th. And just wanted to point that out. Also, if we were drinking bourbon, we would raise a glass yes. to the two. You know, I, uh, uh, letting Twitter stream by me, I guess it was last night, and Kirby's grandson, Jeremy, is on Twitter. Ah, and, not surprised. And uh, occasionally will post a little bit of his grandfather's artwork. Yeah. Uh, I posted uh-huh. a, a quick sketch of Silver Surfer mm-hmm. uh, last night. There's uh, several Inst- great Kirby groups on Facebook where you, where you see a lot of stuff get posted. Instagram's got a whole lot of stuff. We yeah. follow a lot of this. You stuff. have to be careful, especially on, on Instagram, because the, the groups are really good at uh, being able to tell you when stuff is fake, because there's a lot of fake Kirby stuff out there. Mm-hmm. A lot. Uh, but you know these guys on, on the, in the Facebook groups are really good at... Uh, Pointing out why it's an obvious fake or why it's a really good fake, you know? yeah. But uh, yeah, some really good stuff, really good stuff. But yeah, and actually, we we actually recording this on that day. So, Indeed. Yeah. So happy birthday and uh, so sad for the passing. Amen. So, Francis, what is up next? You know, we go back to history uh, next month, and uh, we're going to do another World War II. This is a second of our of our ongoing intermittent series. Uh, we did the one in the Atlantic. We're going to switch oceans now. Indian Ocean. No, oh. the war in the Pacific. We're oh, going to talk about work. that. Yeah. Now, and of course, that's a hu- just like the battle for the Atlantic was huge. The war in the Pacific is huge. It's mostly that, but we're going to try and distill it down to a few critical moments. Uh, like, for example, Midway and the Solomon Islands. And we're going to kind of use that as a focus because those are things that are well-known. But we're going to talk about all of it. And, you know, basically, what was that all about? Yeah. And uh, what were the causes, repercussions, etc. Of, of all that? It's going to be great. All right. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.